Hi, everyone. This is Linda Leakley, Chief Clinical Officer from HCP. And I'm Amanda Sternklar, our Director of Marketing. And you're listening to Vision, the podcast for leaders and forward thinkers in the care industry. Today, we're going to focus on one of the most requested topics that we hear about at HCP, and that's how to get care professionals to show up to both interviews and their first shift. So to to talk about this, we're joined by the experts, Chris Boker and Brian White, co-founders of Pre-Intent. They're going to share their strategies with us and some of the data that's made their clients so successful. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, Pre-Intent is an automated outreach. It's an interview scheduling platform that's designed for recruiting care professionals. Um, On a monthly basis, they send over a million text messages to about 100,000 candidates, part of why I was so excited to have them on the show today. Um, And that's led to more than 38,000 scheduled interviews uh, monthly. Chris and Brian, thank you again for your time. Really excited to have you here. Glad to be here. Our pleasure. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. We're so excited about this. So, so let's start with it's probably the top question on everybody's mind who's listening. <clears throat> what is the biggest determinant, in your opinion, of whether a candidate shows up for the interview? Yeah, great question and a good place to get started. What we have found, it's speed and convenience. Okay. Often when folks are looking for new employment, They're doing so with urgency. We have found that the average job seeker is going on to job boards and they're applying to a dozen different positions. They're scheduling four to five different interviews, but typically they're only attending one or two of them. Okay, so it's crucial to not only, you know, interview for the interview to be scheduled right away. It's crucial for the interview to take place. Um, If a candidate schedules an interview with you for next week sometime, it's extremely likely that they have other interviews scheduled before yours. So for every interview that they attend, the likelihood of them ghosting you increases. Uh, We have found that if the interview does not take place within the first 48 hours, the no-show rate can increase by 50% or Mm -hmm. more. Right. And so if you're only conducting interviews one or two days a week as is right, that's probably not going to cut it. You're missing a ton of folks for that reason alone. Um, Increasing interview availability has an immediate positive impact on interview show rates. And then you can also increase your interview density uh, by even double booking interview time slots. But the biggest thing is the speed in which not only the interview is booked, but actually taking place. That that really makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'll see I'll see home care owners talk about, um, you know, all the no shows. And I think they sort of take it personally, but it really is just a matter of, of sort of speed. Right. As you say, and how quickly they get going. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, go ahead, Chris. We, we all wish that, you know, when they when they booked four interviews, they'd weigh their options on who offered the best job at the best rate and the best benefits and had the best culture. But that's not that's not the case typically. For the most part, it's you know, oh, this job fit my need. I'm gonna go ahead and start with them, right? Um, and then how quickly can they get, you know, onboarded, hired and start work is kind of the next metrics. But yeah. Um, I think Brian nailed it. Like with speed, there's so many metrics in there, speed to contact, speed to interview schedule, speed to the interview happening. Like it's a compounding effect in your recruiting process. If they're 
like Brian mentioned, if they're just looking for urgent, like if they're looking for work urgently, the first, you know, first person they talk to is uh, who can offer them a job is probably going to be the one to best meet that need. <laughs> um, but, you know, say you live in uh, a perfect world that I envy where you already have the best process that you can create today. Um, what's the next largest factor in show rates for interviews? Yeah, um, I'll take this one. Uh, that's a great question. And this comes back to the softer side of recruiting. I think friendliness of the recruiter um, is, is what we talk about a lot here. And I think that has a huge impact on show rates, right? Um, the recruiter is the face of your company. And that's all the candidate knows of your company is really their engagement and interaction with the recruiter. How responsive were they? How do they treat them on the phone? Those type of things. I think one of the big paradigm shifts that we've seen in recruiters over the past, like since COVID, is they went from being people that were trying to weed out and qualify and make sure they were only bringing in qualified candidates for the interview to really trying to bring in anybody and everybody who is minimally qualified for the job. And so that phone screen or that initial first contact went from, you know, a judgmental phone call or a call where you're trying to qualify someone to just a call where you're trying to get to know them as a person and answer their questions and have this friendliness factor, right? Because at the end of the day, we see a lot of companies and, and a lot of the successful companies all kind of fall in the same range of pay rates and, and benefits and perks. And they all try to have great company culture. And that's why they're successful companies. And so if your competition is very similar to you, the only other factor that you can really create a competitive advantage on is have the friendliest recruiter. Um, and that just prevents other people from coming in and stealing that candidate, um, you know, when, when they're going through that process. Because we tell businesses, when you are done interacting with a candidate, you have to assume that your number one competitor is calling them next. Right. And is the question is, is, are there cracks or chinks or did you leave a door open for them to come into? Or does that candidate say, man, I'm really excited to meet this company. That was the nicest recruiter I ever spoke to. Right. And if, the, if that's the answer, you you've prevented that candidate from being stolen or more likely being stolen. But friendliness is key, I think. Great. Great advice. Um, so. Does the type of interview that you offer, uh, whether it's in person, on the phone, or a virtual Zoom meeting, whatever, does that influence the show rate at all? Linda, that's a great question. Uh, we get that asked that a lot when we're, we're talking with customers about, you know, should we do virtual interviews, in-office interviews, phone interviews? And we've seen different strategies work very successfully, um, you know, across small and large companies. Um, we've seen just phone interviews or just virtual, just in office, all work. Uh, what we've seen, though, that, that I think is more important is in-office interviews lead to the most success downstream and, and the hiring process, and if done right. And in-office interviews, you know, one of the big things of caregiving is, is showing up on time in the right place you know, presentable, right? Like that's part of just being a caregiver, part of the requirements of a caregiver. And, and having an office interviews allows you to check that box really quickly. Um, the second thing is in an in office interview, you have a captive audience. So now you can um, make sure all the paperwork gets done. Um, you can schedule orientation and really good teams will walk that candidate around the office and introduce them to other people in the office and really make them feel a part of the team. 
right? And so you create this a little bit more stickiness in that candidate to show up for the next step of the process, which is typically orientation and, and training, right, Linda? Good, good old training. Um, so uh, an office has its, its, its pros, but virtual and phone have its place as well. So we talk to a lot of agencies. Not every territory is built the same. If you're in Pittsburgh and people have to cross rivers to come to the interview, it's not happening, right? Um, if you're in a big rural area and people are driving 45 minutes to the interview, probably not happening. It's going to lead to no-shows. So in some cases, virtual interviews are really, really, really helpful because they are phone interviews because they allow that interview to happen quickly and it's more convenient for the candidate, right? Um, and overall, the best show rate is going to be whatever the candidate is most comfortable with. Right. And so if the candidate would prefer a virtual interview, they're more likely to show to a virtual interview. If they prefer it in office, in person, maybe they're a little bit older, or a little bit more traditional of a, a applicant, they might prefer that in office interview. And so it's really important if you can offer multiple types of interviews. But what we always tell clients, it, it, our best advice is make sure your recruiter has at least two types of interviews in their in their tool chest, right? So kind of a use case on this. Um, you're, the recruiter's on the phone with a candidate. Today's Wednesday. They can't come in until Monday. Well, that's a weekend. The no-show rate after a weekend just goes down, right? Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reason, they have work, they're traveling, whatnot. That recruiter should be able to say, hey, if I send you a Zoom link, can you jump on a Zoom call right now and let's do the interview right now? And then I can make a job offer. And Monday when you come in, you know, then we're doing paperwork and orientation potentially, right? And the whole goal of that recruiter is just to get that candidate off the job market and, and lock them down and secure them for the next step. Uh, when when needed, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think arming your recruiters with that ability to shift quickly and easily between interview types is, is really allows them to be successful. Um, Chris, something you said right at the beginning of, um, of answering this question was that in-person interviews were the best if done right. So what does that mean? What, or what is, a, what is an interview done wrong in person? Yeah, I think if someone's coming in and it's it's really quick on an in-person interview, 15 minutes and they're back out the door and you haven't built the rapport with them, like you have this captive audience and it's so important to get them as far down the, the hiring funnel as possible in that one meeting. You know, we see people, they'll come in for an in-office interview and then they're like, oh, you know, you're going to have to go do these other steps and then we'll let you know if we make a job offer. Like if they can't walk out your doors without a job offer in hand, right? And otherwise, they're literally going less than a mile down the road and finding another home care agency and walking in their doors. You should just assume that. That makes sense. So, so sort of related to that, what about the method of, of communication? Is it better to, you know, when you've got a candidate on, on, on the hook, maybe is it better to email them right away, call them, text them, something else? What's What's been your experience? Yeah, um, I'll take this one. I'll share some numbers to, to start with. So 80% of outbound phone calls end up going to a voicemail. Right. And so anybody who's made outbound calls knows, you know, you're actually more surprised when the person answers the phone. You're, you're <laughs> right. You're clearing your throat, preparing, getting ready to leave the voicemail that you've left hundreds of times. Right. And when they answer, it takes you off guard. Um, 
but there's value in leaving voicemails, but it sure takes a lot of time in, in doing it, right? Um, only 20% of emails even get opened, right? So, so that's not a whole lot better. Um, but over 95% of text messages are read within the first three minutes of being sent. So text messaging, you know, is also the most uh, f- used form of communication by Americans under 50 years old. So text messaging is the clear winner when it comes to contacting the most people as quickly as possible. Now, that doesn't mean that you want to completely disregard emails because they do still receive 20 percent open rate. But if email is your first or only form of communication, you're missing out on a ton of candidates, right? Text messaging really is the game changer. Um, The offices that we see having the most success are doing everything, right? They're leaving voicemails, they're sending emails, they're sending text messages. If you wanted to put an order of operations together, I would say send the text message first right away because it has the highest contact rate. Um, But then you don't wanna just send one text message and one email, you wanna send these uh, multiple times over multiple days because they're applying to multiple positions, right? And you wanna cut through all the noise. And so, there's value in all of them, but the ones you're going to see have the most immediate impact is texting. If you're not utilizing texting as part of your recruiting process right now, that's probably the one thing that you can do to have the biggest impact is find some form uh, to communicate via text message. You mentioned multiple times over multiple days. Um, do you guys have a specific length of time or frequency of contact that you see work the best. I feel like it's kind of a delicate balance between, you know, wanting to show enthusiasm and, you know, stalking. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So some of the campaigns that we have built out that our clients are using, um, the first four days is dense outreach. So the first day is a, a voicemail, a text message and an email all three and our system uses automated uh, voicemail drops. So the recruiter just has to record one voicemail and that automatically gets sent out to the candidates. But day one, voicemail, text, email, and then for the next three days, sending another text and another email. So it's four days of very heavy outreach. What we have found is if they do not take the next step in that time, it's typically because their situation has already changed. Right. Meaning they found another job. Mm -hmm. But we also know that frontline employees, their situation can change often. That job that they just uh, accepted, you know, might not end up being the opportunity that they had hoped it was. And so we recommend putting them on a three week pause and then putting them into a drip campaign. Our system puts them into a nine month drip campaign where they continue to receive one text message and one email per month just to keep a line in the water with these folks. So when they do go back into that candidate pool, you're top of mind in the best place to catch them. And that makes good sense. I'm sure. Um, 
This is jumping back a bit, um, but I know Linda mentioned that a lot of folks can take interview no-shows personally, um, which is kind of understandable. Um, but when we were preparing for this episode, we talked about something I don't think folks consider um, super frequently, which is just no-shows happening because of anxiety. Um, you know, candidates either they get lost and they're a little bit late and rather than show up to an interview five minutes late because we have it you know, drilled into us how important timeliness is, um, they just don't show up and they stop uh, answering or, um, you know, maybe they just don't know if they're in the right place. They don't know where to park. Um, and interviews are already enough anxiety. Um, can you share some of the tips your clients use that um, improve show rates by addressing anxiety specifically? Yeah. Um, you know, before an interview, I think we'd all like to prepare thoroughly, you know, get a good night's sleep, uh, arrive early. But in reality, as recruiters, you're prompting the candidate to book that interview with you as soon as possible, like maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning. So you're removing a lot of the time that they did have to prepare. Right. So the offices that are having the best show rates are recognizing this and they're giving the candidates everything they need to feel comfortable and prepared. So as soon as the interview is scheduled, they're sending a confirmation to them that includes a picture of the office front. Right. So they can recognize the building. Uh, the offices that are going over and beyond are actually having the recruiter step outside in front of the office and be in the picture of the office front. Mm -hmm. so, so now they are no longer a stranger. This is a familiar face um, mm -hmm. that they're going to be recognizing once they get to um, the office. Um, and so sending the picture of the office, they're also including driving directions, instructions on where to park, any items that need to be brought along with them. Um, we have even seen offices that are particularly hard to find. They'll record a video, right? They'll record a video on where to park, how to locate the office. They'll upload that onto YouTube and then send the link to uh, the candidates, right? Um, and then we also know that some candidates are going to be more introverted, right? And just the word anxiety alone, or excuse me, the word interview alone creates anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so offering virtual interviews for those candidates, and instead of referring them to referring to them as interviews, referring to them as appointments and meetings. And, and instead of I'm looking forward to our interview, I'm looking forward to visiting with you soon. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's more of a, of a just open conversation. And so just giving them all the information that they need to feel prepared, knowing that you're not really giving them enough time to be fully prepared. Um, we have one office that just recently started providing the questions that they will be asking during the interview. They're just telling them, these are the five questions that we're going to ask, come prepared. And so uh, that remains to be seen if that works or not. Maybe that's something that I can report back to you guys on. I'd love to hear a follow-up. Yeah, that would be really interesting to know. But but all the tips you gave are great. I mean, I love the idea of the recruiter being in the photo and having the, you know, I can imagine if you've, if you've got the option of working in several different places, you know, you're in demand and you're driving around trying to find a place and you can't 
located or you can't find the parking, it'd be simple to just keep on going, right? Yeah, yeah, just forget it. Well, and a lot of folks would prefer to, um, instead of going through the uncomfortableness of being late and having to explain that, that's that's enough to cause anxiety right there, right? Mm-hmm. And so they'll just leave. And so just even letting them know, hey, we realize this is going to be your first time coming to our office. If you're a few minutes late, that's understandable and yeah. almost to be expected, mm-hmm. right? And, and just mm-hmm. letting them know that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a great way to handle no-shows as well, just to kind of bring, bring in another topic, is that a lot of caregivers' lives are very unpredictable. Right. Uh, just in the nature. When we talk about um, we we're sitting through one of John Freeze's uh, talks recently, and um, he was talking about how, you know, a vast majority of caregivers are on Medicaid or some sort of government assistance. Like mm-hmm. their cars aren't in always the best shape. Uh, their life is unpredictable. They might get called into work when they thought they had off and they're not going to like not show up to work. And so one of the things we've we've done is, is a lot of clients now are someone misses an interview or no sh- no call, no show. They may send a text and say, hey, we know life happens, you know, um, would you like to reschedule? And they just what they're doing is allowing the conversation to start. Right. And, you know, hey, if they know show two or three times, that's probably like a pattern. Maybe now. But the first time, the first time, like you're giving them a second chance, but they're too afraid to start the conversation many times because they're embarrassed. Right. Yeah. Um, and so just starting the conversation and being friendly might win them over. They're like, wow, this company actually gave me a second chance, whereas most companies would never return my phone call ever again. Um, yeah, you let them save, save face. You let them save face and know that the options are still open. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, okay. So you've talked a lot about what what makes for a good interview and how to um, relieve anxiety. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see businesses making that tend to increase the notions? All right. Um, so here we go. Um, <laughs> I'll take notes. Right. So there's a lot of things, and the first one I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about is 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 my pet peeve, Um, and it's a mindset, and it's when leaders of a company or or team members say, you know, excuse their poor recruiting results because candidates don't want to work or they're flaky, right? Uh, People just don't want to work today. Well, unemployment's below four percent still, and has been for a long time. So math tells us that everybody is working. Right. Um, We see companies growing left and right. So it's not it's not that you can't grow during these times. There's plenty of companies that have exploded with 50, 100 percent growth in the past 18 months. Um, but the problem or the reality that these companies have to face is like, there's a couple of things. One, your process and your recruiter are broken. Like they need training. They need to be faster and easier and more convenient or two, your job offer just isn't up to snuff. Um, you know, like, you just aren't being a competitive job offer. And what happens is these people, all the eights, nine and tens, all the great caregivers that everybody wants were already hired. They've already been hired by your competition. So what you're left with is their leftovers, the, the five, six, seven that, you know, they interviewed and passed on. That's all you see. So now you think a, a five or a six is really an eight or a nine and they're not, they're a five or a six. And so therefore you think all these candidates are flaky. The problem is, is you never even get to talk to the great ones. Um, so it's really important that before you discount your, your worker base, that's worth, 5500 to $6,500 a month to you and, and, and revenue, 
is to really think about like, am I doing the best? Am I number one? Am I being competitive in all these areas, right? And really take a hard look at yourself uh, as an employer if that's what you're thinking and saying, because that mindset is not going to be a winning mindset for you in today's marketplace. Like you will continue to struggle. That's my yeah. soapbox moment. Yeah. yeah. I'll uh, I'll add to that, Chris. But uh, but no, that was great. We also see a lot of companies that are asking too much of the candidate prior to the interview, right? And one of the things that we lose sight of is over 50% of people, their only access to the internet is their smartphone. That's it. So if you're asking the candidate to complete a long form application or a personality test, you know, or something like that before the interview, it's going to have a negative impact on your show rates. Remember, people will always take the path of least resistance, even the qualified ones, even the ones with experience. Right. So remove as many barriers of entry before if they show up for the interview and they're a good fit. All of that can be done after the fact. Right. And so any of those things that we're going to that you're asking of the candidate beforehand, remove those and do it after. So companies are doing that, I assume, Brian, because they're trying to weed out people and not waste their time interviewing. But you're saying that's a backwards approach. Uh, we have found that's the case because one of the most, you know, half of life, they say, is just showing up, right? Well, so first you want to find out if that person's, you know, willing to wake up in the morning, put themselves together and drive across town to meet with you. If they are, well, they can already do half the job. At this point, you just have to determine if they you know, have a kind heart and a love for the elderly. And if they are, you're probably going to offer them a job right then and there. But asking them to do all that beforehand, you do have to ask yourself, is my competitors asking to do this? And everyone has moved to the past of least resistance because they know speed is so important. And so you're, the things that you were normally prioritizing before an interview, that can be done after you even make the job offer to them. I like it. Yep. Yeah. Those nines and tens, like you mentioned, have already been hired. Like well, if nobody multi- else is giving them homework. <laughs> you're exactly right. You're exactly right. This place right. wants me to do a long form application that's not mobile friendly. This one wants me to do a hundred question personality test. And this one has an open calendar that says, come in anytime that you're available tomorrow morning, you know, this afternoon, whenever you're available, you don't have to bring anything other than your smile. Right. Yeah. People are going to show up to that one more often. And uh, I think one more mistake that that people make is having multiple interviews or multiple steps to their hiring process Mm. with job off, right? They're like, hey, we're going to have you come in, then we're going to have you come back in, and we can't make a job offer until your TV test comes back. Um, And you just have, like, in today's market, like, the interviewing process is all the way up until their first shift. 
Um, you know, orientation is really part of the interview process. You're still getting to know them. They're still getting to know you, right? Um, you're making sure they're trainable, all those wonderful things. And you can't, you can't just say, oh, the interview's done, the job offer was made, or we're not going to make a job offer till now. Like, if you think the candidate's viable, you got to find a way to lock them down. And as soon as they walk out that door, they're walking into another home care agency. They can pull up their voicemails and be like, oh, which company called me? Let me call them back, right? Like they literally have them on their voicemail. They have them in their text message. Like it's not, it's not hard for them to find a job. Um, so I think just being, being super candidate focused and, and treating candidates as valuable as they are. Um, I was talking to an owner and I was like, you know, a candidate's worth $6,500 a month to you in recurring revenue every single month, $75,000 a year, right? And then it's like, are you treating that process the same as the sales process? And it's like, no, we put way more emphasis and, and energy and resources into sales. But it's like, but why? Manufacturing your product is so much harder these days. Um, and so when you start thinking about recruiter or their, as candidates as, as that valuable to your company, mm -hmm. um, there's a mind shift there that happens that they start to treat them that valuable um, and the whole process that valuable. They wouldn't have a business without exactly you know, those employees. Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been my push for you know my career. Say, <laughs> don't think that'll be a message that's unfamiliar to folks who have yeah. uh, heard it before. <laughs> well, and and that's definitely Chris uh, Chris and I's passion, right? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um. You know, Chris, you started to talk a little bit about the orientation process, um, which brings up kind of the other piece of this we were talking about. Um, once an applicant accepts your offer, that's not the end of the story. And we hear from so many owners who are struggling to get um, folks they've already hired um, to show up for their first shift. Um, we've been focusing a lot on the interview process, but can you talk about any additional advice you have for, for those owners? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take half of this at least. Uh, I think the same principles apply once they accept the job offer to get them to their first shift, right? These, these people need money. They, they live for the most part paycheck to paycheck, right? Like let's just take the average carrier, not all, but the average hourly worker lives paycheck, paycheck to paycheck in America. So if you're asking them to wait a week for orientation or wait a week to start their first shift, like they have to go somewhere else because they have car bills and rent and groceries, just like everyone else that needs to get paid. And so speed in that process is critical. You know, we've seen the migration of we do orientation and training once a week to, or once every other week to a lot of companies like, hey, we're figuring out how to do orientate, orientation and training every single day, right? Um, that's, that's, you know, that's huge, it's hard to do. Not every company has that bandwidth or ability, but mm -hmm. figuring out ways to get them involved because, you know, you're paying for training now. So at least now they're making money and you can start paying them. And that's, that's so important. Uh, do you Brian. have, do you have feeling, oh, I'm sorry, were you going to add Brian or? No. Okay. Do you have feelings about, and I've talked with a lot of home care owners that will pay a lower salary or a lower hourly rate for training than they do for actual shifts. <laughs> My take on that is it immediately tells that that new hire that they don't value training um, or the time that that's being spent training. So 
I've always suggested, why not flip it and say, look, we're going to pay you more to get trained. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that, but I'd be interested to hear. Uh, Fortunately, I would say I I haven't ran into that before, which I'm glad. That doesn't mean that it's not happening with a lot of our clients. I just haven't heard that because that hurts my heart. Right here and here and stuff like that, because it really is the 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 not just the onboarding, the ongoing training. Training isn't done in the first day. Training is ongoing. And when you discount, like you were saying, Linda, the training, they start showing up to training that way, kind of like half engaged uh but when you put a priority on that by by, like you're saying even paying more hey it's that important Mm -hmm. that you're going to get paid more during the training it puts an emphasis on it so although i have not seen that one way or the other i can get on board with that for sure and Mm -hmm. and agree with it a hundred percent and linda one of the questions asked those owners if you're already paying let's say $10 $10 an hour instead of 15 for those eight hours of training. Like is $40 really going to hurt you that much? And would $40 get like, if, if you paid everyone and you hired just one more caregiver that year, it pays for itself. Right. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of that it, it hurts to see someone that you train, walk out the door, not show up for the first shift. I don't discount that pain as an yeah. owner. That is yeah. That, you know, it's a big investment and they, you got them all the way to the finish line. But the same thing happens on the sales side. It's just that investment is a, is someone's salary, right? Um, you're, you know, you're paying the salesperson's salary. And so it, the, the investment's the same. And so I understand their pain, but at the same time, it's like for incremental extra cost, I get this benefit of higher, higher retention, more importance on training. And, and like you said, I think it's so important to put an importance on that part because, you know, you know, we read the studies all over the place that training, um, feeling unprepared for the job is, is a, is a reason why people leave in the first 30 days. Right. And so if you want to retain them, you got to train them. Well, yeah. And if you look at that cost differential, like you're saying, compared with what you've already invested to get them that far in the process right it's really so minimal um it it doesn't make sense to me to to discount it yeah it's understandable to go there because i get like like we're talking about i get the pain of of kind of seeing seeing them go through orientation and not come back but talk about the cost differential you know we've discussed with data from the benchmarking report it's every um person who turns over it's about twenty seven hundred dollars on average um in lost wages the cost of finding another candidate of training them um and you know if they then um if they aren't engaged in training but they do stay um and lower care quality causes causes client turnover that's another six hundred dollars um on average in client acquisition costs not to mention you know again lost revenue and things like that and um, the impact on the clients right yeah, yeah. Of course, I, yes right. um, <laughs> but uh you know, it's, it's understandable to have that immediate reaction, but putting it in perspective, I, um, I think is really important. Yeah. Looking at the big picture for sure. Yeah. And then on the training aspect, something I've heard a a couple of times now that I think is really, really a smart idea is they'll actually at the end of orientation, book a shadow shift at the end of training. 
right? And they go out with another existing caregiver, but they they immediately go to work on a shift. And it's like, yes, it's another $60. You know, maybe it's just four hours. It's another $60 out the window, but it's just part of the cost to hire, right? And if you can convert more people and spend thousands less on Indeed, you're going to come out way ahead. This person is already so far down the funnel, committed so much time to you that Mm -hmm. it's worth just getting them to work, making them feel a part of the team, reducing their first day anxiety by being with another caregiver, right? Um, And it just greases the wheels and just makes that transition so much smoother. And I thought that was a a genius idea of a a shadow shift on on the first day. Right. Well, you know, Chris, that's standard operating procedure in every other continuum of healthcare, or, you know, vertical of healthcare, right? You know, a, a new nurse or a, a new CNA or a new doc, anybody's going to get mentored or precepted or shadowed, you know. And so why should it be different, really, with home care? It shouldn't. So I, I'm on board with that completely, yeah. <clears throat> um Shifting gears a little bit, I know you talked about um, if you're ghosted, but if you and you you talked about, you know, a drip campaign. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you would suggest people do that? Is it what's the length of time of a drip campaign? What's ideal? That sort of thing. You want me to take that, Chris? Go right ahead, buddy. Yeah. So. When someone no calls, no shows, we recommend immediately following up uh, the later that day or the next day saying, hey, sorry, we missed you. We know life happens. If you would like to reschedule, here's a link to do so. So letting them know that you know that life happens and then providing them a way to, to be able to do so. If it's because they've found another job, well, then you know, you're probably not going to hear back from them. And that's where we recommend putting a three week pause in between any messaging, because that's where we're going to assume that they found another job and you want to give them time to settle in and realize it's not the opportunity that they had hoped it was. Right. And then right around that time, you start sliding back into their DMS, sending them some more messages, telling them all the benefits of working for your organization. At that point, it's about staying top of mind and staying in front of them. Uh, It's really hard to entice someone to leave a job that they're happy with, more than likely what you're gonna do is stay top of mind and be in front of them when they've decided that they're leaving where they're at. And when you, since you don't know when that's going to be, you just have to stay in front of them always, right? You have to continue to send them your logo and the benefits and let them know that you have shifts available and just be in front of them. But we see those ongoing uh, drip campaigns and re-engagement campaigns have huge impact. Um, And then someone that you might have disqualified originally because they didn't have a driver's license, well, that's something that can change fairly easily, right? And so now they do have a driver's license or now they do have insurance. And so just because they didn't have it at this one time, you don't want to remove them from all campaigns forever and always because some of those things can easily change. And so you want to stay in front of them for when it does. Makes good sense. Would you recommend? Oh, go uh, ahead, Amanda. Yeah. What do you guys think about and and have you seen um, anyone include requests for referrals in in outreach like that? You know, wanted to check and see if if you were 
back on the job market or if you know anyone who you think could be a good fit? We haven't uh, explored any of that. Uh, that would that would be interesting, though. Um, yeah, and that's something that we could definitely explore. I yeah. want like see that a, a lot. months after this. I want to like yeah. pull. I feel like there's so much stuff we want to revisit. And hear we'll have, how to, we'll have to book you uh, down down the road a bit. For sure. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, I mean, but we all know like the caregiver referral market is your best resource, right? We're, we're talking to a lot of recruiters, and like fifty percent of people hire is is referrals. It's like that's great. That means that you're a really good company, right? Typically. Um, and you should always be asking for referrals and always be um, pitching in money for referrals when people refer, you know, caregivers to you, like especially your current employees. Um, that should just be like standard operating procedure. They saved you six hundred to a thousand dollars on hiring. You know, you can you can throw them a bone, Linda, and uh, and and uh, give them a little perk here and there, right? But I also really like the idea of eat like. Uh, I think that what Amanda was suggesting, which was, hey, even if you're not looking for a job right now, right, refer someone else to it. So it's a way for them to, like, make a bonus or, you know, if there's Mm -hmm. some type of financial benefit of doing that. And if they are going to refer someone else to you, well, it's likely if they get hired on and enjoy the job that they could bring their friend along with them, the one that originally referred them. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, yeah, just asking for the referrals is always great, but asking them from people that aren't working for you, I don't see anything wrong with that, right? I ask because that's um, happened to me, I think, three times now where a recruiter, recruiter will reach out and it's not the right position. Um, also very happy at HCP. Want to make that clear that this is free, like several years ago, free working here. Um, but if I, I'll hear from, if I hear from a recruiter, it's not a good fit, but if they're like, if they're a kind person, um, you know, their outreach is responsive and, and respectful. Um, and I know somebody I'll be like, Hey, I, this is not the right position for me, but you know who it is right for, and I'll make the introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine if you had the right kind of outreach, that's something that, um, that would be really, that, that could have good results. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, very, very true. Uh, Chris and Brian, do any of your, um, your clients, you make use of sort of ambassadors, you know, from their team. Do they do any sort of video testimonials with current caregivers, you know, who say that I love my job and this is why, and, you know, text those out to, to uh, prospects. Has that ever happened? Do you have any data on that? Or So we have some clients that do that. We don't, there's not enough of them doing it for us to have some data around Mm -hmm. it. Um, But we, we recommend during the uh, process, sending them a benefit statement that just, uh, you know, shines you in the best light, all the awards that you've won, uh, all the employment awards, things like that. And there are several offices that we include a video. And the video can can sometimes even be after the interview is scheduled. You're sending that along with the confirmation, okay? Because they're applying to a bunch of jobs, applying to several mm-hmm. companies, but the differentiator could be the video that was attached that's letting them know the day in a life uh, of a care professional at this role. Once again, it's a differentiator. If you're doing it and the other two companies they applied for aren't, it shines you in a better light. 
And so, yes, we have some companies that are doing it. We encourage that as much as possible, but it is something that people feel like is an undertaking. Hey, I have to record this video. I have to do this. A lot of uh, franchise offices can lean on corporate for that. Those videos Mm -hmm. already exist. And for the independents, I would tell you, it doesn't have to be slick and professional. You can record it from your phone. Authentic. Authentic. Yes, 100%. And, you know, coming from the owner of the organization, talking about uh, their mission and vision and passion and why they started the organization, um, definitely be a differentiator. So, yes, we have some that do it. I would say not nearly enough. Um, I don't know if I'm sharing state secrets here so we could cut it out um if necessary but i remember when we were um when we were first talking and uh you know we were talking about pre-intent one of the things you recommended and you said um a good number of your clients do even if they can't do the videos just sending a text either the day of or shortly before like after the interviews booked about so excited that you're coming i just wanted to share why i really love working here um different things like that. So it sounds like there's, there are options, you know, even if you can't do the video um, to really help get uh, applicants excited about uh, your agency. Yeah. Even just sending emojis, like someone booked an interview, we get a lot of responses on the confirmation, thumbs up, great, those type of things, you know, just sending back a smiley face, like build mm-hmm. so much rapport with candidates, right. It, um, that use of emojis. And I think the hard part about recruiting is there's not one thing that's going to like, take you from zero to 60, right? Really drastically moves the needle. It's like, hey, you got to do 10 or 15 things all right to move the needle 10 to 15%. Like no one thing is going to have a, a drastic impact. But when you start doing all the fundamentals correctly, um, like the process and the culture all just kind of happen naturally. Um, and and that's, that's what's so hard about being a recruiter today. Like recruiters have the hardest job in home care. Um, you know, they are faced with a very, very difficult task of uh, in a highly competitive market. Um, and, and you know, a lot of pressure is put on them by leadership. And, that, and that's hard. To, that's that's a lot. I would like to add to that, that there may be if you're not doing something already, there may be something that could take you from zero to 60. And that's text messaging. If you are not text messaging right now and you are relying on leaving voicemails and sending emails, if you start incorporating text messages, you will feel the effects overnight, even if that's using an office phone and texting them manually. I do not suggest doing that. I suggest <laughs> using some, you know, some software, something that's automated like pre-intent, but to test the waters on your own to see if it's going to have an impact. Do it from your own phone. And it is night and day difference. And so that would be the one thing. If you're already texting, well, then, yes, you have to do all these little things uh, to help move the needle. But if you're not doing that already, that's something that you can implement and, and start, you know, doubling your results pretty quickly. Because sometimes it's not necessarily just about show rate. It's actually how many interviews can you book in a month, right? Like if you have 100 candidates, can you book 40 of them to an interview? Well, 
you know, if you have a 50 show rate, 50% show rate or 60% show rate, that's a ton of interviews that actually occur that month. And it gives you an opportunity to hire 15 to 20% of your applicant base. And so texting, self-scheduling are two key components that I think help you book just more interviews every month and give your recruiter more at-bats to go and, and lock down and get a good hire. So doing all of those processes manually, it sounds like, is kind of a, a drag on, on an organization. That's what I'm hearing. Um, and so having the tools in place for a recruiter, whoever's doing the recruiting for an agency is really vital, it sounds like to me. Absolutely. I, I imagine you're going to agree because you, you've got tools, but I mean, it, it, it just makes sense. You know, it's just one less manual process and all those pieces, like you say, it's, it's 14 different things you've got to do right. And if you have to do all of those things manually, the chance of, of being, of getting it done, you know, it just, just drops. And that's why it feels so defeating and personal when you have all these no call, no shows. It's because you were the one making the phone calls and leaving the voicemails. You were the one that was sending the emails. It mm -hmm. feels like you're the one being rejected. Yeah. Even, even though you know that's not the case, it's really hard to not feel that mm -hmm. when when all of that's being uh, when a lot of that is being done for you automated, when they if they do ghost you, it doesn't have as big of an impact. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're not the one that was having to send all the multiple messages. Right. Uh, we even have some offices double book interview time slots. Right. They have a 50 percent no call, no show rate. So they're scheduling two interviews per time slot. In theory, they should always have one person showing up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um and so just utilizing everyone's time, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a very nice segue into if folks are hearing all of this and thinking that they'd love to, to automate this process. Chris and Brian, where's the best place for folks to find you guys, uh, ask any questions and find out more about pre-intent? Yeah, so you'll go to uh, preintent.com or you can email sales at preintent.com. Either way, and that'll message us directly. And we'd love to give you a full demo of our automated platform, how we help home care agencies connect, qualify, and schedule interviews faster than humanly possible. And I've also seen some great content from you guys on LinkedIn as well. Um, and Linda, where's the best place for folks to find you? Yeah, I'm available on LinkedIn as well, uh, Linda Leakley, uh, or my email, lindaleakley at homecarepulse.com. Be happy to hear from anybody. And you can find me, I'm most easily accessible on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Amanda Sternklar again. If you'd like to, if you have a story you'd like to share as a guest on the podcast, uh, you can go to homecarepulse.com slash podcast and apply to sit in the, the seats that Chris and Brian are in right now. Talk to us about uh, your success in post-acute care. Um, while you're there, you can find any of our previous episodes and you can also listen to previous episodes of Vision wherever you currently listen to podcasts. Thank you guys again so much for joining us. Oh, it, it's been a pleasure, Chris and Brad. I think we could probably talk for a couple of hours and you know keep this rolling, but we'll just we'll just have to book you again. Well, we'll another one for sure. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for everything. Thank you guys. You guys do awesome work. Thank you.